I'm sure that we have all had experiences in life that are ones we will never forget. And here's one of those for me. I was in my first year at the seminary in St. Louis, and the pastor of my home congregation asked me to preach the Sunday after Christmas while I was home on Christmas break. I was honored to be asked to do that. It would be the first time that I would have preached in the, my home congregation. And I can still remember that Sunday like it was yesterday. The practice at that church was that the worship service began with a processional hymn. And so while the organist was introducing the tune of that hymn, the pastor and I were standing in the back. And as we were standing there, he leaned over to me and he said, Hey, Dennis, look out there. There's our district president and his wife who are here this morning. They're members of our church, but he travels so much, she's hardly ever here. But he's here to hear your first sermon. And then he said, oh, and look over there. The four retired pastors that are members of our church are also here this morning. They're here to hear your first sermon as well. About at that time, it was all I could do to keep from running out the back door of the church. But just then, the congregation started to sing the first verse, and there was no turning back. As we were about halfway down that center aisle, my pastor leaned over to me and he said, Dennis, don't worry about any of them. They all put their pants on the same way you do every day. I can remember that Sunday like it was yesterday. I don't remember what the sermon was about that day. I don't remember if it was okay or if it was a complete flop. I don't remember a single comment anybody said to me on the way out of church, good or not so good. The only thing I remember is being intimidated in the presence of some people that I thought were pretty great in my eyes that I aspired to be like someday. Greatness. What is greatness? And what does it mean to be great? I think it's natural for all of us. We want to be great at whatever we do, don't we? When we have children, we want our, our kids to think we're a great mom or dad, or later in life to think that we're a great grandmother or grandfather. When we get married, we want our spouse to, to believe that we are a great husband or wife. When we start a new job, we want to be a great employee. We want to be a great friend, a great neighbor, a great church member. We want to be a part of a great church. And we are here at St. Michael, aren't we? Can I have an amen? amen. Can I have a louder amen? amen? Whatever team we're on, we want others on the team to think we are a great player. It is natural. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great at whatever we do. But what does it really mean to be great in life? 
I think today's reading from Mark chapter 9 and chapter 10 give us an answer, point us to see what greatness is, but also what greatness isn't. So first, let's look at what it isn't. Let me remind you of some things that took place just before where Pastor Davis started to read this morning. Just before this, Jesus took three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on a mountain to witness him being transfigured. In that act of transfiguration, Jesus' appearance became radiant. While they were up there on that mountain, the disciples literally witnessed the Old Testament characters of Moses and Elijah up on that mountain also. And while they were up on that mountain, the disciples also heard the voice of God saying, affirming that Jesus is his son and that they are to listen to him. If you can, try to imagine this incredible experience these disciples must have had up on that mountain. But that's not all. When they come down the mountain, Jesus is approached by a father who begs Jesus to relieve his son of an evil spirit. So Jesus takes pity on the boy and heals him. It's now that we come to the point in the gospel reading of Mark 9 where we heard the reading today. It was after witnessing this transfiguration, it was after witnessing this miraculous healing that Jesus and the disciples head to Jerusalem. And as they do, as they're walking along, Jesus says to them, the Son of Man will be betrayed and delivered into the hands of the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise again. Now, upon hearing those words, there doesn't seem to be any reaction from the disciples, at least none that is recorded here. And, and I don't know about you, but I think that's kind of odd. You see, if someone you had a close relationship with, like the disciples had with Jesus, if someone you had a close relationship with just told you all this was about to happen to them, wouldn't you sit up and take notice? Wouldn't your attention immediately turn to that other person? Wouldn't you at least express some level of concern for what this person is about to go through? Doesn't seem like that was the disciples' response at all. Instead, apparently, the disciples just started to argue with each other, which is why in our reading Jesus said, what is it that you were arguing about as we walked along the way? But when he asked that question, notice that they didn't answer him. And the reason they didn't answer him is because they didn't want to admit that what they were arguing about was which one of them is the greatest. Really? Which one of them is the greatest? Here they just witnessed the transfigured appearance of Jesus. 
They saw the Old Testament characters of Moses and Elijah up on that mountain. They heard the very voice of God the Father. They come down the mountain and witness Jesus healing a young boy. Jesus then goes on to announce that he will die for the sins of the world, but three days later he will rise again. And yet the disciples argue with each other as to which one of them is the greatest. Doesn't that seem odd to you? But if all of that isn't bad enough, we go on to read in chapter 10 of Mark that it wasn't long after this that James and John, two of the disciples, come to Jesus with a request. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we want. Just think about that statement for a moment. Jesus We want you to do for us whatever we want. Isn't that pretty bold? Actually, I think it's worth pointing out here that if you go to Matthew's gospel account of this same story, Matthew tells us that it was actually the mother of James and John that go to Jesus with this request. It was their mother who said, grant that one of these two sons of mine will sit at the right and the other on your left when you come into your kingdom. Now, I don't know if it makes it better or worse that mom made this request or not. But either way, they were asking for positions of honor. And so it's no wonder that to that request, Jesus replied, You don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I will drink and be baptized with the baptism I will be baptized with? It's probably helpful to know that the word that is translated cup can also be translated experience. So Jesus is saying to them, are you able to go through the experience that I will be going through? After all, he just told them for the third time that he will die for the sins of the world and rise again. And their response to the question was, yeah, sure, no problem. We can do that. That'll be easy. And it's with that response that it seems obvious that the disciples were paying no attention at all to what Jesus has been saying this whole time. And so it's no wonder that the gospel writer Mark goes on to tell us that the other disciples, when they heard what James and John did, they became indignant. Of course, they became indignant. Wouldn't you be? And actually, maybe there's a couple of reasons that they were upset about this. Maybe they were disgusted with James and John for being so arrogant to make that request. Or they were upset with themselves that they didn't think of it first, asking for positions of honor. In either case... The disciples' view of greatness is so different than Jesus' view of greatness. Here's what greatness is not. Greatness is not self-promotion. Greatness is not self-centeredness. Greatness is not self-importance. Greatness has nothing to do with power or position. 
It's not status or significance. It's not title or talent. It's not about the grades you get in school, although grades are important. It's not about how much is in your retirement account, although how much is in our retirement account is important. It's not about the possessions we accumulate. It's not about the compliments we receive. It's not about how much playing time we have on the field or on the court rather than sitting on the bench. It's not what somebody says about you on social media. None of that is what greatness is. Instead, here's what greatness is. If anyone wants to be first among you, he must be the very last and servant of all. That's greatness. Greatness is service. Greatness is considering someone else before yourself. Greatness is a willingness to sacrifice for the sake of somebody else. Greatness is selflessness, which isn't thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. You see, we tend to want celebrity status in life, but Jesus wants us to have servant status. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's greatness. Because after all, Jesus said to the disciples that the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men. That means that they will kill him. And he also told the disciples that after that he will rise again. And all of that means that Jesus sacrificed his life in exchange for our life. He takes our place on the cross. He transfers the sin and guilt in our life to himself. He suffers the pain and the punishment that your sins and my sins deserve. He dies our death. He pays our debt. He forgives our sin. He loves you unconditionally, and he promises you heaven. And every day of your life, every day of your life, the relationship you have with Jesus Christ means that he gives you a second chance and a new beginning. Isn't it great what Jesus did? And how so easily we can get things all turned around. It's not power or position in our life. Greatness is something else. For if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and servant of all. That's greatness. And you know, maybe it's hard to keep all of that in perspective these days because we live in a culture where people are so quick to criticize your position about anything or so quick to just cancel you as a person outright. And maybe that cause, causes us to counter back, or maybe that causes us to disengage and not be involved. Or maybe it's all the more reason to demonstrate what the prophet Micah said that we heard this morning. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. 
That's greatness. Jesus style. And that is what tends to make a difference in this world. It's what Jesus did for you. It's what he calls us to do for one another. In order for Jesus to be seen in our lives, it's how he wants us to live with each other. That people would see how great Jesus is through us. For people to see the greatness of Jesus in our lives, that's what's great. In Jesus' name, amen.